Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. got a Bible app. I even provided a sermon guide today. If you don't have a sermon guide and you want one, you got to have one. We got some in the back. And if you need one, we'll get you one. Just let us know. I think most people got one who want one. And I want to share some things with you that God has been encouraging me with. So let's go ahead. Let's hold up our Bibles or let's hold up our Bible apps like we normally do. And we're going to do our Bible declaration. And let's say it nice and loud and from our heart. In the name of Jesus. Ready? Ready? Read. This is my Bible. It is God's word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word and fill me with the Holy Spirit so that my life will be changed forever In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you believe that when we open up the scriptures and we're leaning in, that the Holy Spirit will speak to us and give us insight from God's word? Do you believe that? And along with that, we should expect that we'll have this fresh infilling, this fresh overflowing from the Spirit of God, because these are God's words, and we're pulling them in, and the Spirit of God is going to be working in us this morning as we're looking at the Scriptures. Amen? So I want us to go to uh, Galatians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I've got quite a bit of material here. I don't want to rush, but I certainly don't want to keep you till 2 o'clock. So I'm going to do everything I can to keep it tight, but I also want to leave some flex for the Holy Spirit to make sure we bring across what we're wanting to bring across in this message, okay? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and uh, I'm reading from the King James Version Bible in this particular text. Very important that we see that, okay? Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you have a Bible and you have a highlighter or a pen, circle the word in or of that's in your Bible. And I really want to emphasize the difference. The King James Version Bible, in this instance, translates this text, if you notice, with the word of God, by the faith of the Son of God. In most other translations, it says, I live by faith in the Son of God. And that's the translation I use most of the time. It's easier reading, the New King James Version. But as I was studying and I was looking at different versions, the Holy Spirit just kind of highlighted this to me. 
And it was kind of a head scratcher for me, to be honest with you. And I begin to dig this out a little bit because honestly, for 29 years, I've been reading that verse from the New King James Version. The New King James Version says it a little different. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, meaning my human existence, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's the New King James Version. Does yours read that way? Okay. And then I saw this. And I'm like, wow. What, what? Why is there a difference? And what does that mean for me? And this morning, we don't have time to go into deep, deep differences from the King James and all the other versions. But I do want to show you some things here. First of all, in addition to that difference, I want you to look at the word faith. The word faith. The word faith is this Greek word pistis. P-I-S-T-I-S. Pistis. In the Greek. Faith. And this is what it means. Conviction of the truth of anything. Belief. Persuasion of the truthfulness of God. That's what faith means. Biblical faith. Not I hope so. Not what the world might term faith. And can I just be graciously honest? I think that most people, as much as they want to be in faith, they're not really in biblical faith. They're just kind of grasping at hope and they're kind of, for lack of a better term, crossing their fingers and just kind of hoping with everything in them and of them that things will work out. I think that's how most people live by faith. I'm not trying to cast condemnation on anybody. I just think in our humanness, it kind of gets boiled down to that. And I just believe that the faith that we're going to look at today is way more than that. And not only that, but it needs to be. Because where does faith come from and, and how do we live by it when times are chaotic, unstable, and dark? We've got to look to the Bible and we've got to look to God and we've got to find out what the Bible says about real Bible faith. So the title of today's message is this, the faith of Christ in me. The faith of Christ in me. Would you say it with me, church? Come on. The faith of Christ in me. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, the life which I now live in the flesh, meaning his human existence, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Of the Son of God. Now, just keep it contextually accurate. What's the context that Paul's talking in right here? Well, if you study the verses in front of it and the verses behind it, you'll notice that he's talking about being dead to the law, being crucified with Christ. And because he was crucified with Christ, his old life that was striving to live according to God's law so that he could be right in front of God, that way is no longer his way. And because of what Christ has done through the finished work of the cross, Paul is emphasizing the fact that that old person, that old spiritually dead person who had to try to do right, to be right with God, that way of living is gone. Dead, buried, and gone. Thank God. 
And then he says, so therefore, it's no longer I who live, meaning the old dead person disconnected from God. But he says, Christ now in my new created life, alive to God, forgiven in Christ. Now Christ lives in me. Does that make sense? So when we're talking about faith, whose faith do you think Paul wants to live in and through him? His own faith? Or the faith that comes and is supplied from and is of Christ? Doesn't that make sense, contextually speaking? So when you look at this, you have to allow that to sink in. Because as we're understanding the fact that our old life in Christ is dead, buried, and gone, and now as a new creation, filled with the Holy Spirit of Christ... We're supposed to be learning to yield to him and allow him and everything of him to flow in us and then through us. Amen. Isn't that true? And it's no different when it comes to faith. Let me show you another scripture that I think kind of solidifies this and validates it. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this. We're supposed to be looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to draw our attention to the first part. Notice, we're to be focusing our spiritual gaze on the author and the finisher of our faith. And who is that? That's Jesus. Amen? Now, the word author doesn't mean that he's the one who wrote it like an author of a book. Let's look at it a little more carefully than that. The word author, when I look behind the English word to the Greek text that it was written in, it's the word archegos. Archegos. A-R-C-H-E-G-O-S. And this is super, super relevant and interesting. Archegos means leader and source. Not just the leader, but the source also. And archego is broken up in two smaller Greek words. It's a compound word, two words put together. This is super relevant. Arche, A-R-C-H-E, this is what it means. RK means beginning or origin, meaning that's where it began and that's where it came from. And then the second part, ago, A-G-O, listen, this is so good. It means to lead or to bring along with you. So this is saying that we're supposed to be focusing our spiritual gaze on Jesus, who is the origin who was the leader of our faith. It started with him. It comes from him. And not only is he lived it out for us, but he's taking us along with him so that we can live it out through him. Amen? This is super, super powerful. Let me sum it up with this. Author, the word suggests a combination of the meaning of leader with that of the source from where a thing proceeds. Wow, Jesus is the author of our faith. 
In other words, he's the leader of our faith, and he's the source from where our faith proceeds. If you're with me, say amen. This is super relevant for us. With all of the chaos that's going on, all of the bad news that's going on, all of the darkness that seems to be growing and getting stronger, more than ever, our gaze needs to be fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith. More than ever, we need to learn how to allow the faith of Christ that originates with him, that comes from him, that flows from him, to flow to us and through us so that we can live the victorious Christian life. Amen? This is so relevant for us. So, so Pastor Robert, how do I do that? How do I live by the faith of Christ in the middle of all of the crazy things that are going on? I want to give you three uh, points today that you can kind of pull down into yourself and begin to walk them out. Point number one is this. If I'm going to live by faith, I must know that faith comes from God. God isn't asking you to conjure up, to try to will it up, to try to make faith in and through yourself. You have to know that faith Everything in Christ comes from him. You don't get to do anything on your own as a Christian apart from him. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But how many of you believe in Christ? We're not apart from him. Amen? So we have to know, the very first thing I have to know is that faith comes from God. He's not telling you to conjure up your own faith. He's not trying to get you to just have enough willpower. Just try to mentally believe it. Just fake it till you make it. No, 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 no. He's wanting us to position ourselves so that the faith of Christ that originates from him, that comes supernaturally and divinely from him, flows to us by revelation and through us for other people to receive or for us to experience in our life. But I have to know that faith comes from God. How do you know faith comes from God? Look at Romans 10, 17. Just to solidify that a little bit more. Romans 10, 17 out of the New Living Translation says, So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. So the more that you and I expose our hearts to hearing the good news, not just going to heaven, but what your salvation package as, as a child of God includes and all of the blessing and all of the benefit and all of the victory. When you expose your heart to hearing, to reading, to studying, to meditating, to going deeper into the good news that Christ has made available to you, faith from God comes. You don't just get it on your own. I don't just develop it on my own. It's a gift from God. Faith, supernatural faith from God gets deposited on the inside of you. And it gives you this supernatural ability to trust God, to be confident in God, to lean back in God, to put all your care, to put all your concern, to put all your trust, to put all your assurance in God. It goes beyond the natural because it's from him. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. So you and I have to settle it today. 
Your faith, my faith, is something that is of Christ. It comes with your blessing benefits through your relationship with him. Pastor Robert, are you sure, really, really, are you saying that God wants me to learn to allow the faith of Christ, like, to really flow in me and through me? Well, let me ask you this, okay? These are not trick questions, okay? You know these answers. Just think about it, okay? When God asks you to walk in love, is he asking you to walk in your love for other people? Come on, what's the answer? No. Whose love is he wanting you to walk in? His love. So you're saying that you think and you agree that we are supposed to somehow receive supernaturally an inflow of the divine God kind of love to flow in me, and I receive it, and then I give it to other people. Is that what you're saying? Man, you guys are out there, right? But that's what we believe, right? That's, that's what we, we, we study and we see that in the scripture. Here's another question. Not a trick question, I promise. When, when God says, hey, I want you to live in joy, is he asking you to just try to be joyful in yourself and conjure up your own joy? Or is he asking you to learn to yield to him and his spirit in you so that his supernatural divine joy can flow to you and through you? Isn't that true? So it's not your joy, right? How about when he says, hey, I want you to, to be, be a carrier of, of peace. Is he wanting you to just carry your own peace? Peace that you think you can come up with? Or is he asking you to carry his peace? The peace of God that comes from God. It's the same when it comes to faith. Let me show you Galatians Chapter 5, verse 22, out of the King James Version Bible, this time again. Notice, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Come on, say it with me, the last one. Faith. Faith. You guys see that? Now, I want to point that out because I read the New King James Version, and that word faith is translated in the New King James Version as faithfulness. And let me tell you why there's a, there's a difference. When you read faithfulness, I believe that our humanity is programmed to think that the Spirit of God is going to give me the ability to live in faithfulness to whatever he asked me to do. And to show up and to keep showing up and to do it and to keep doing it. That's faithfulness. He's going to give me the ability to be in faithfulness. Does that make sense? But here's the challenge. When you look at the word faithfulness in the Greek, and you look at the word faith in the Greek, they're both the same word. Pistis. And pistis is belief in God. It's assurance in God. It's trustworthiness in God. So contextually, when we're, leading, when we're reading Galatians 5.22, and it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Whose Spirit, church? Whose? Could it be the Spirit of Christ? It's the Spirit of Christ, right? Listen to this. The fruit. Of the Spirit. He's not talking about apples and oranges, right? He's talking about characteristics that Christ walked in. 
but, and he's talking about something that the Spirit of Christ produces and supplies in the person who's learning to yield and be led and be influenced by the Spirit of Christ in him. Make sense? So then it seems to reason to me that if I'm supposed to live in this God kind of faith that comes from him, as I learn to yield to the Spirit of Christ in me, one of the characteristics that the Spirit of Christ in me produces, supplies, manifests, is faith. It's faith. So when you're looking at circumstances, and you're looking at challenges, you're looking at sickness, you're looking at worldwide shaking, you're looking at bad news, let me just encourage us. You're supposed to be looking at the author and the finisher of your faith. You're supposed to be leaning into the Spirit of God so that He can supply you with supernatural faith that comes from God. That's the point that Paul's making in Galatians 2.20. Look at it again. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live as a Christian... I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live by the faith that is supplied by the Spirit of Christ in me. Amen. Can you guys see that? If you see that, say, I see it. Right? For me, this was a challenge. I'm trying to wrap my mind around this still. I'm like, wait a minute. How am I supposed to live by Christ's faith? Not only that, but when you dig deeper, you've got theologians who are on one side of the coin or the other concerning this whole subject because some will say, Christ didn't have faith. I say, what? Not once will you see in the Bible where it says that Christ had faith or he operated or he, he lived by faith. It doesn't say it in the Bible. Theologians will say it. It doesn't say Why? Because Christ was God. Why would God need faith? God knows everything. And so I'm scratching my head. Yeah, that's kind of true, huh? Right? I mean, he was God. So that's, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin, you got other theologians, other doctors. They know this in and out, Greek, Hebrew, everything. They'll say, yeah, but wait a minute. When you see the life of Jesus played out in the Gospels, it's clear. He lived and demonstrated faith in his heavenly Father. Complete assurance complete trust. Not only that, then he turned around and he taught his followers to have the same kind of faith that he operated in and demonstrated in. And then at times when his disciples fell short, he said, what's the matter with you? Where's your faith? Why didn't you speak to the storms? Why didn't you this? Why didn't you do that? So for me, I'm kind of like, I'm still processing this, but the Holy Spirit's convinced. He's convicted me and he's convincing me. I need, we need to learn to yield to the Spirit of God so that the faith of Christ can rise up on the inside of us just like we want His love, just like we want His peace and His gentleness and all the other fruit. He wants to supply you with faith of the Son of God. He wants to do that. Amen. So here's the second point I want to make. So Pastor Robert, if I'm going to live by faith what can I do that will kind of 
release that? Is there anything that I can do that will help me to step into this faith that, that's going to help me to push into what God has for me. Well, I thought about an Old Testament example. For time's sake, we can't read it all, but I just want to bring to your remembrance. In Exodus chapter 12, in Exodus chapter 12, Moses is on the scene, and he tells all the children of Israel, in order for God to bring deliverance and freedom to you, I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to kill it, and I want you to eat its flesh, eat it all. And I want you to take the blood from the lamb. And I want you to put the blood outside of your house. And then I want you to go in your house. And I want you to believe that God's going to send the death angel to strike judgment against all the gods of Egypt. And you're going to be supernaturally protected. You're going to be supernaturally kept. You're going to be supernaturally delivered. Do you guys remember that? That was the first Passover in the book of Exodus, and by the way, that was all a forerunner, a precursor, a picture of Jesus Christ and the Passover that he would supply to us back in the Old Testament. That was Christ that they were partaking of. That was Christ that they were eating. And then we get down into Exodus 12, 7. Exodus 12, 7. Listen to this. It says, And they shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts, and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Notice, they're eating it. In their houses, not in church service on the first Sunday of the month. They're eating it in their houses, right? And then it says, they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat. This act of obedience was a foreshadow of our ultimate faith in our ultimate Passover lamb. When they did these things, listen, they were acting out their immovable, unshakable faith in all that God said and all that God wanted to do and all that God was. They actually believed that if they ate the lamb and put blood over the entrances of their homes, that death would pass over them and they would be supernaturally delivered and set free into the promised land that God had for them. They actually believed all that. And, and by doing this, they, they put their faith to work. There was faith in action. So here's the point I want to make. And I think it's a relevant point for us. Number two, taking communion is an act of faith that releases faith in God's promises. Taking communion, the blood, which is the juice, the bread, which is the body of Jesus, that's an act of faith that releases faith in God's promises. In the Bible in Corinthians, it specifically says that Christ was our Passover that's been crucified for us. Over and over and over, John, John the, 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 the baptizer, points to Jesus and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's clear. It's obvious. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing this up because I think, I think that the majority of Christians, like myself, for many, 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 many years, most of my Christian life, I only took communion when my church family took communion. Like, for example, for us, the first Sunday of the month, or like on a New Year's Eve, or on Easter, Two or three times. Did you know that Jesus told his disciples, for as often as you do this, 
you do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say as once a month. He didn't say as Easter and Christmas only. He said often. I'm bringing this point up because I believe that if we're going to allow the faith of the Son of God to live through us, we have to begin to take communion in our homes with our family, on our own, with our spouses, with our kids. This isn't something that you have to wait for for the first Sunday of the month with Lakeshore Christian Fellowship. Pastor Robert, what do I do? That's a good question. Open up to Matthew 26, 26. Matthew 26, 26. It says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. So you can take your Bible, you can open it up to Matthew 26 through 26 and 28. You can get your little saltines, you can get your Welch's juice, and you can read this and you can release faith. This is an act of faith that will release the faith of God in your life. And you bring to your remembrance everything that God did in Exodus and everything that God wants to do today in our world and in your life. Amen. God is the same. God is a God of deliverance. God is a God of protection. God is a God of refuge. Just like he did it then, he'll do it today. But we have a responsibility to step in and to release faith in our atmospheres in our homes. Amen, church? You don't have to wait to take communion with us on the first Sunday of the month. As a matter of fact, I'm asking you as your pastor, if you'll allow me to, begin to take communion at home regularly. Take it every day. Take it once a week. Take it twice a month. Just begin to do it. And as you do that, I promise supernatural faith will begin to be released in and through your life. You'll come up to a whole new level. You'll be living in the spirit of faith because every time we take communion and we read the scriptures, we remind ourselves of the victory of Jesus Christ. We remind ourselves that we've been saved, that we've been delivered, that we've been healed, that we've been made clean, that we're seated in Christ. We remind ourselves that our faith needs to be on the author and the finisher of our faith. If you'll do this, I promise, faith will begin to come up on the inside of you like you've never experienced it before. A lot of times I think the congregation thinks, oh, I don't know how to take communion or I need somebody to do it for me or with me or we just do it at the church with the pastor. Listen, as the body of Christ, you have the benefit and the blessing and the authority and the invitation to come to the Lord's table and take communion with your home, with your family, so that the spirit of faith can flood your atmosphere. Amen, church? Lastly, here's the last thing I want to say. If we're going to live by the faith of the Son of God, I will have to make this decision. You ready? We must take our stand against the lies of the devil. You'll have to take a stand against the lies of the devil. I want to pull us back to Exodus chapter 12. The back half of verse 12, notice what it says, Exodus, talking about the Passover and the supernatural deliverance and everything God did to set his people free, to keep them safe from death. It says in the scripture, God said, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment for I am the Lord. Now, this is interesting. This is interesting. The first plague 
that Moses brought, turning the Nile to blood, was a judgment against the God of the Nile River. The second plague, bringing frogs from the Nile, was a judgment against uh, the, the frog-headed goddess of birth. If you study this out, the third plague, gnats, was a judgment on the God of the desert. The fourth plague, flies, was a judgment on the fly god. The fifth plague, death of the livestock, was a judgment on the goddess and the God who were both depicted as cattle. The sixth plague, boils, was a judgment against several gods over, listen, health and disease. The seventh plague, hail, and the eighth plague, locusts, they attacked the, the gods of the sky and the goddess of the sky. The ninth plague, darkness, listen, was aimed at the sun god that was symbolized by Pharaoh himself. And then the tenth and the last plague, the death of the firstborn males, listen, was a judgment on Isis, the god that protected children, supposedly. These Egyptians worshipped all kinds of foreign gods. And the point that I want to bring out is this. It's very important that we realize that behind all the gods of Egypt and the harsh rulership of Pharaoh were demonic spirits, and behind demonic spirits was the devil, Satan. There always has been and forever will be an enemy. And he's going to do all that he can to shake your faith and try to get us to give in and give up. But just like God was victorious here in Exodus, we can trust that God will still be victorious for us today here. Amen. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, if you read Ephesians chapter 6 about the armor of God, verse 12 and 13, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Listen, that you may, that you may withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. And then he goes on to verse 16 and he says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Where does our faith come from, church? Our faith comes from, is supplied by, it originates with, and it's led out by the Son of God, Jesus, the captain of our salvation. He says, take up the shield of faith, notice, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Know this, church, behind everything that we see that's going on, there's demonic spirits. There's a battle that's raging in the earth. The kingdom of God is already victorious. But we do have to learn how to live in and through the faith of the Son of God. So that we can release that in the atmospheres, in our families, in our churches around us. People are scared. People are worried. People are anxious. People are hopeless. But God hasn't called us to imitate people that are hopeless and worried and anxious. God has called us to imitate him. Amen. God has called us to live like Christ lived when he walked the earth. All of our hope, all of our trust in God. Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, 
today and forever. So in closing, what do I do? What do I do? Here, you got to know that faith comes from God. Just allow that to sink in. Faith starts with knowing what the word says. And you have to know that faith comes from hearing and hearing about the good news. It comes from God. The second thing, you have to come into agreement with the promises of God. It's one thing to know that faith comes from God, but it's another step to come into agreement with the promises of God. Come into agreement. And then the third thing, you have to begin by faith to possess the promises of God. Take your spouse, take your family. If you live by yourself, begin to pray. Take your word, open it up, find the promises, and begin to know what they say, come into agreement with God about what they say, and then by faith, take communion and receive or possess for yourself the promises of God. I believe more than ever, God wants for us to learn to allow the faith of Christ to live in and through our lives. Amen, church? Have you been blessed by the word this morning? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.